ladies and gentlemen, we're halfway through the marvellous Marvel series that is, of course, called The Wild Stallion and The Sexy Guy, or possibly The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Who knows? It's a 50-50 shot. I am your host of Raven On, Natalie Bohensky, and with me, as always, is my co-host, a man who, when describing to you the plans for a very elaborate jail breakout, Turns out he's already done the jail breakout and is just letting you know what he did. It's Stuart Light. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, I did it 30 minutes ago. Wait a minute. That's a different franchise. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? So that's a Watchmen reference. Oh. Sorry, I should stop referencing things. That, that, that doesn't seem to play. <laughs> no, no. I should have got that. You mean the Watchmen TV show? Yeah, just Watchmen in general. That's a famous uh, line from Watchmen. I did it 30 minutes ago. Oh, that's with the, the, the ad, uh, Ozymandias, Ozymandias yeah. dropping the thing, isn't it? I got it, kind of. <laughs> you only had to explain it to me a little bit. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we're, we're getting there. Point is, Natalie, you, the things you love, you love. And you, you have a, a deep and an extensive knowledge of the things that you have a deep and extensive knowledge of. Mm. And everything else is just bare bones. Hey, I know a lot and of that's stuff. That's fine. That's fine. Lots of people are like that. I know a lot of stuff about a lot of things. Generally, I can tread in those waters. <laughs> I can make some jokes. But deep cultural understandings come with, as you say, a deep, unabiding love. And just to neatly segue into today's topic, I think I've found another one. <laughs> I think I've found someone who I can really get behind. Oh, excellent. Yes, okay. I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> so, Stuart, Michael, Seymour, late. <laughs> Natalie, Danger Behensky. Oh, I like that. Let's crack on and talk about episode three of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a.k.a. The Power Broker, hmm. which I can't quite decide if that's a really cool name for a villain or kind of a lame name for a villain. I mean, it can be both. I'm it's comic books. It can be both. All right. So I'm, I'll crack through this because it's okay. just a very silly list. This is what I've written on my minute challenge. We put a minute on the clock and try to remember everything we can about the episode we've just watched. So I've written... Team Zemo, 100% on yep. board. Yeah! Absolutely. I have rarely seen the main characters of a TV show or movie be shunted to one side <laughs> as completely and totally as Zemo does to Falcon and the Winter Soldier in this show. My God. He just comes in and he is in charge from minute one. Well, that's, it's yeah. That's, fantastic. After I wrote, yeah, with eight H's, I wrote sexy Daniel Brule, or dishy Daniel Brule, I should have written. He's doing it. He's doing it. Now, Now, which aspect of it is doing it for you, Natalie? Because I know in, in, in my household, that fur-lined coat was, yeah. uh, there are lots of, uh, lots of notes about that one. It was, look, everything was pretty special. He has this weird kind of slight red baron flying ace. Well, he is a baron. He's Baron Zemo. Well, I mean, that's obviously feeding into where I'm picking this up from, Stu. Uh, but they've, they've yes. gone with the kind of the leather <laughs> jacket and the lining. They've gone with the, you know, he's just – and because Daniel Brühl is – I think he's a really handsome guy, but he's also not, like, Hollywood handsome. He's, he's handsome in a very understated way. Yeah, he's, like, indie handsome. And because he's so softly spoken and so genteely spoken and has this beautiful clipped accent – just everything about it was like, 
Yeah, I'm, it's working. It's all working, and you're competing. As we talked about last week, the the sheer unadulterated beauty of oh, Anthony yes. Mackie and two, two of, I mean, two of the prettiest series leads I think you could possibly <laughs> get. Daniel Brule shows up and just wipes them off the map. Guys, I'm just putting on a coat, and you're gone. Bye. Yeah, bye. Bye. Yeah, Are you into scene two? I, I I haven't seen. Yeah, he's he just owns it. And and so that's why, I mean, just to skip to the end of the episode very briefly, and I'm sure we'll, we can talk about this further, but there was a moment where I thought he was going to kind of double-cross them and, like, mm. shoot out of the episode at, at the very end and then never be seen again. And I was like, you can't give me Daniel Brawl for 30 minutes and then take him away again. <laughs> I had feelings, Stu. I had very strong feelings. Justified feelings, Natalie. Do not be ashamed of your feelings. Let me continue my list because it goes on. How about that bit where he danced? Oh, yes. I mean, that, that, is, that is obviously already a gif. Is it? Oh, good. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. It's all over the internet. I haven't seen this. This damn Easter weekend and various busyness because I was watching that on Friday night when I watched <laughs> this episode and went, that, oh, maybe, maybe half a second maybe a quarter of a second moment of him just kind of fist pumping on the dance floor. It's a little flash and it's, it's perfect. It's, it's, it's perfect. exactly what you want. And they put that in there knowing that it would be immediately clipped and yeah, turned absolutely. into a gift. So I wrote, how about that bit where he danced? And then I wrote also, how about that bit where he killed that guy? Yeah. <laughs> like surprise, killed that guy, the scientist. I mean, not not super surprising. It was they, they kind of telegraphed their punch a little with that one, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it kind of it makes a lot of sense. He he hates superpowers. He doesn't this like is, superheroes. This is why you know I need you to come in as I go through my list here to educate me more on Zemo because somehow I've forgotten pretty much everything about Civil War. <laughs> right. Okay. I was having a chat with Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast about Zemo. <laughs> this and he was like, "Did you never see?" Civil War. And I was like, yeah, I did. I definitely did. It's, it's the one where they have the big fight and then there's Ant-Man and he's like, and Spider-Man. Like, I, I saw it, but I've just forgotten the whole Zemo plot line. So we'll talk about it. Because my next line was, and that bit where he said, I think I'm invaluable. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote, chef's kiss. <laughs> chef's kiss. It's very, very good. And then I wrote also um, other stuff, uh, Midrapur, Madrapur. Midra- mm-hmm. yes. I can't pronounce it properly. I keep getting it wrong. I wrote humid, surely. Uh, yes, yes. It, it's thing. very close to Singapore. Yeah. The chick from the thing, a massive party, and a hot Aussie flag smasher. <laughs> that was the sum title of my list this week. Yes. There was a lot that That's I a good today. list. That's a good list. It's 75% Zemo. Yeah, as it should be, 80%. because this, this episode was 75% Zemo. <laughs> I forgot about the Winter Soldier fight and the bar and the and the, the killing the chick and the phone call <laughs> and Sam looking like a pimp, except he wasn't. He was looking like a sweet African arms dealer or something. Uh, <laughs> this was my favourite episode so far. Right. Uh, okay. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So into this episode. It rollicked along. I loved the setup of the jailbreak and I just went, because I've been talking in this podcast with you, Stu hopefully you were there listening, mm. about how economical I felt they've been with their storytelling. Like they're really clever yeah. in the way they're getting things out. And that Absolutely. whole jailbreak and he, as soon as he said, you know, like, well, hypothetically, and I was like, oh, they've done it. And so I went, this is great. We're seeing it. He's describing it. And He's then we get describing it as it happens. Yeah. Sam's reaction to Zemo walking in and it was all really, really good. 
but yeah, if I can just briefly touch on Midrapur, Madrapur, Midrapur. Yeah, yeah, we, we can talk about that. Everyone rocks up looking super cool, and they're all walking around like it's the middle of Iceland or something. Everyone's in like cool, heavy coats and stuff. They say it's in the middle of the Indonesian archipelago. That is not a cold place. It's specifically in the Straits of Malacca. It definitely uh, would be humid. Yes, it's it would not. be incredibly hot and humid and, and not not a place where you would like to wear like a full three-piece suit and a massive, uh, <laughs> a massive fur coat. And nobody's sweating. It feels like it should be a sweaty, grimy city, but it just feels kind of cool and edgy like it's somewhere in Eastern Europe. But then it I definitely realized, it had more of an Eastern Europe vibe yes. uh, than, a, than a sort of a, a, a Southeast Asia vibe. The only thing that kind of looked quite Southeast Asian to me was um, in my you know in my experience, but was the city kind of looked a bit like Shanghai, the way they described the high town was yes. yeah, yeah. you know kind of glitzy neon, and I thought, oh, is that Shanghai? And you know, no, it's the high town and a low town. But I just thought, it, you know, I, I understand why they can't make it a humid place because cool stuff never happens in humid places because nobody would take the Winter Soldier seriously if he was knocking out all those dudes at the bar wearing <laughs> board shorts and a bintang singlet. I mean, this is true. This is true. It, it would definitely undercut some of his menace. But also you'd get to see the full arm. I, You know, I wish. That's true. This is the thing. Hot places never have, unless oh, I suppose we did just do a whole series on James Bond and half the time he's in Nassau or something being cool. That, that's so true. it's not. He, he is he is often in Panama hats. It is not impossible to be cool in hot weather, but because you can get into your sexy bikinis and stuff. So I get it. But in an action franchise where you're trying to go into the underworld and make contact with a criminal who whatever yeah just nobody was sweating nobody was kind of going hey do you have a water can i have a water i'm just what about the humidity here you know there was no discussion of the dew point which as you know Stu, i'm very passionate about the dew point sure uh it's probably my favorite speak about it often yeah i i think it's my favorite weather indicator and a lot of people don't know and they just go oh it's so humid and you're like no you can have high humidity and not be sticky and sweaty it's the dew point Look it up. I loved the hot Australian flag smasher who's hanging out with the Carly Morgenthau. That was really interesting that um, that actor, whose name actually uh, escapes me right now, I should have uh, looked up before we started recording, but he um, he posted a big thread on Twitter this week talking about how much being in the show meant to him because he was such a massive Captain America fan Aww. Uh, growing up. Oh, that's uh, so cute. So yeah, no, it was it was really sweet actually, and and, and sort of you know how uh, as a Asian uh, actor of Asian background uh, from Australia, you know it was a bit weird that he was like a massive Captain America fan, but like he kind of justified it by sort of being you know saying he's he saw a lot of himself in the character and it, it helped him through a lot of hard times, and now he's uh, in in the Captain America show playing an anarchist who playing an anarchist bad guy, like but, you know. Captain America, <laughs> but um. But but it was it was it was interesting too that like they didn't feel the need to make him put on a weird accent like he's just got I loved that. his Australian accent um which kind of really leapt out at me but I was like it always it was, does it's it, it really clangs on the ear because our ears obviously are so attuned for it that when it shows up it just it leaps out at you as an Australian to mm. hear an Australian accent especially that sort of an Australian accent mm. uh, I, it's not a bad thing but it, it just sort of I was like that guy is australian <laughs> i don't know what I don't know what that means and it always just takes a moment because you know the accent so well yeah but you're also watching proper tv where nobody yes. has australian accents no that's right exactly yeah you know everyone in proper tv has british or american accents that's yes. how you know it's proper tv 
uh, unless you're watching... just neighbours. Yeah, unless you're watching an Australian TV show, in which case it's fine. You're just hearing normal voices. But once you hear, <laughs> once you, everyone's in the. I'm just talking like this because I'm really mad and okay. I'm <laughs> having emotions, or you know, like Sam, who's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" It's that more bombastic American style of speaking. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got your German or Sokovian bad guy who is talking simply like this, and then Carly Morgenthau, who's kind of a villain, and she's got a little bit of a more you know English accent, and she's going to like kill everyone. Exactly, you know? and I can I can live with all of those. All of those exist in the same universe, but then yes. this guy comes on and it's just like. Oh yeah, what do you want to get next, right? Like it's like oh, yeah, no, God, I don't no. reckon attack. Uh, no, let's not. Uh, we're all super soldiers, mate. So what are we going to do? Like, <laughs> am I just going to come over there and king hit you, mate? What, 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 where's my bintang singlet? I could wear that. I could legit wear that. Hey, he did say a. He said a at the end of a uh, sentence. He did. I know, is, and that's that really threw me. I'm like, geez, they're, they're really leaning into that. That's crazy. Because I had it on with the subtitles, and the subtitles did not say a. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Subtitles just had the question, which is, aren't you glad we came here? Question mark. And, yeah. you know, and the he, way he's, he's delivered thrown, it. He's thrown in the A on the end. That's right, because it's such an Australian thing to do. It's an Aussie thing to do, exactly. We pronounce our question marks. Indeed we do. <laughs> it was really cool that they basically just said, you can just use your own accent. Like, you don't have to put on an accent. You just go, yeah, sure. Because, I mean, the they're world's... from everywhere. These yeah. people are from everywhere. And it's one country, one people, and it's about just sort of accepting that the people who they don't like anymore, the people who have just come back from the snap. The one thing you could maybe explain to me is that they're trying to help people in refugee camps. So are the people in the camps the people who came back or are they the people who have been who were there all along but have been pushed out? That's a that's a real good question. That's a bit of world building that I think the show really needs to clarify because, yeah, we, we get the sense that from what I understand of what the show has shown us, we have a situation where the Flag Smashers want to break down world governments because they think that the world was better when it was snapped. Yeah, because maybe there was more opportunity. Or that, at least that's what, that's what to... your read is? Yeah, or everyone yeah. had to kind of work together and so, so they were able to build yeah stronger friendships without sure exactly and then everyone came back and everyone freaked out and and i i assume the world building is like a lot of borders that had become very porous suddenly went up quite hard again and all that sort of thing in in that world you would assume that the refugees are the people who got snapped back and who kind of arrived to find themselves basically non-persons, like many of them would have been declared dead. Yes. A, a lot of their possessions would have been given away or sold or whatever. Like they would have come back and their lives would have moved on without them. And so they would probably have, a, you know, especially in developing uh, and third world countries, you would have, but even in first world countries, you would have massive logistical issues dealing with these people suddenly arriving back to mm. reclaim their lost lives. So you would assume that the people in these refugee camps would be uh, snapped people. Yes. And not people who were there and who came back. And yet the Flag Smashers are getting food for these refugee people. I, Which, I don't know what their motivation is. Yeah. And I think that's a problem. <laughs> yes. Because ostensibly they are they are the centre of what's driving a lot of the action in this in this show. And it's <laughs> that's right. And it's one of the things that made me think only after I'd sort of had the dazzling Zemo glamour kind of assault me and then it was the one logistical thing of going so hang on who who are they trying to help who are they trying to save who are they trying yeah, to exactly. destroy and they, because they, they, in this one she they they stole a whole bunch of stuff from a, a secure facility they stole a whole bunch of food that 
and medicines that they said obviously were being held up there. They yeah, weren't was, getting it was out. Like a, a, a storehouse, a stockpile. Yeah. And so she was taking all this stuff to go give it to the people in the camps, seemed to be what they were saying. But then she blew it up as she left. With, so, a, with a bunch of people inside. Yes. Explicitly. So, yeah. So she crossed the line to... Well, I, I felt like th- that felt weird to me. And it felt a little bit like they were putting their fingers on the scale a bit much, like you know, like the showrunners sort of going, okay, so we need you to understand that although this is morally grey, these are the bad guys. Yes. Um, you know, or, or certainly she is a bad guy and is probably too far down the road and what she's doing is probably going to cause like fractures within the flag smasher group that's right Mm. so she'll yeah there'll be one world one people but what happens if your leader is determined to kind of take everyone down as much as possible exactly how (laughs) how committed is everyone to the actual cause and 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 they they've got this she stole the super serum from the scientist which we can go back to talk about i'm sure but um, with your list, but she stole the super serum from him and then they all took it to help their mission to help the snapped, the sorry, the non-snapped people. It's just not really super clear. It's a little bit muddy and I feel like we might get those answers a bit more explicitly down the track. I yeah. certainly hope so because like if they leave it kind of vague, I, I feel like that's, it's a major part of the, of the series and we need to be crystal clear on what exactly everyone is after. Mm. Didn't you say that the Flag Smashers was kind of a different thing in the comics and they seem to have placed well, in the it? Comics, in the comics, it's a single person. Um, it's, it's Carl Morgenthau is the Flag Smasher. Wait, hang on right. a second. Carl Morgenthau? Yes. So, the, so they've gender flipped the character and, and right. made her the leader of a movement called the Flag Smashers. But, but in the comics, it's one guy. It, it's a Captain America villain called Flag Smasher, whose whole deal is he's basically an anarchist. Like he wants he wants not a one world government, but like he just wants an end to states. He doesn't want uh, there to be countries anymore. He's John Lennon. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Imagine there's no country. Oh my God, no. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Some celebrities got into a lot of trouble uh, imagining that at the start of last year. <laughs> that took me a second. But, yes, you're right. That was <laughs> – we can laugh about it now. But at the time, <laughs> we said again, at the time there was white-hot rage. Uh, was it rage or just more bemusement? At, oh, there was doing? a lot of well, – it was, it, was, it was definitely a sense of really, really <laughs> – very weird. Hearing celebrities sing off-key at us from their mansions is going to make us <laughs> feel better. This is not helping, guys. Hey, can I recommend to you, just as a slight tangent, slight sidebar, as is tradish, my brother, we had Easter lunch today as we are recording, and my brother showed me this YouTube channel, which is possibly one of the greatest concepts for a YouTube channel I've seen. Awesome. And it, it's called Boats versus Haulover. And the Haulover Inlet is apparently this inlet in Miami, Florida, that is notoriously rough. It's an inlet that leads, I guess, from a sheltered place where people park their boats. And you cross it, you go out into the ocean and drive your high-powered boat. What happens is (laughs) dudes with their power boats. Sure. Okay, I see where this is going. Try to cross this thing in, you know, whatever conditions happen to be there. They have a guy down there, this YouTube channel, they have a guy down there with a camera just filming boats crossing this thing. <laughs> Obviously, they go down on, like, wild and windy days. So it tends to be, like, sunny days, but just, like, strong winds, big waves. So it's just these massive power boats, like, beautiful boats, big power craft, big engines, 
often a lot of party boats because, you know, spring breakers or whatever. So you've got like dudes in their board shorts and chicks in bikinis and then they go out and try to either cross the bar coming in or going out and they're just smashed. <laughs> like it's not it's not like anybody dies or boats are flipped it's just these boats going thwack on the water and yes. smash into the waves and it's just watching a bunch of rich white people yep just just cause themselves a lot of cost and and <laughs> inconvenience they're not even i mean the boats seem to be fine they don't really have and then they've got this guy on the channel like doing commentary like, <laughs> and it's just genius <laughs> He's just going, oh, they are going to need a lot more trim to get through this time. And I'm like, I don't know what trim is. What's trim? I don't care. This is great. It's like imagine imagine someone calling like rodeo clowns, basically, uh, uh, bull riding, mechanical bull riding or, yep. you know, that sort of thing. So I would recommend if you're just after like a tonic to make you feel better about the world. <laughs> just get these dudes in their power boats. It's inevitably dudes driving, often a lot of chicks on board. And yeah. they're just being rolled around by the waves, smashed, going up and down, going thump, bang. Like nobody's dying or anything. It's just it's just really satisfying. <laughs> yeah, totally. I am looking this up as we speak. <laughs> if I sound distracted in the back half of the podcast, it's because I have this playing in the background. You're just watching dudes have their boat. I'm watching rich idiots wipe out. Yeah, because and some of them sometimes they film people who are going across it like really smoothly, and they're just like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. What a legend! Like, yeah. they're very praising of people who deserve praise, but I guess there's a lot of rich people with too much money, and they just like, I bought a boat. Yeah. And they don't maybe have the most nautical experience. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, it's, it's hilarious. Boats versus Haulover, H-A-U-L-O-V-E-R. A hat tip to my brother for recommending me that one because we were watching it this <laughs> afternoon after lunch just in his text. Yeah. Amazing. Back to the podcast. Do you want to go from, given that little palate cleanser of a, of, a, of a YouTube channel, do you want to start your list? Sure, let's do my list. Now, first of all on my list, obviously, is uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Baron Helmut Zemo. I, I wrote, uh, Zemo is rich, woke, and loves to dance. Can the show be just the Baron Zemo show? Yeah. How is he woke? <laughs> In what sense? First of all, he uh, sides with Sam on the on the whole uh, soul music issue because Bucky's like, I only I only like music from the forties. Bucky is a giant hipster. We've found out in this uh, in yes. this show. Oh, that was um, a little exchange about. Yeah, Mark. and then he's like, No, no, it's trouble, man. It really, uh, you know, <laughs> it really captures the African American experience. Mm. And then later on, and then later on, uh, Bucky's giving Sam crap about his outfit, and Sam is like, You know, I look like a pimp, and he's like, You know, oh, that's such an American thing. <laughs> only an American would think that a fashion forward black man was dressed as, was dressed like a pimp. Yes, you know, that was like, very Zemo's very fun. Come on. Yeah. But woke, but also like not not falling for like a sort of, I guess a cultural trope. It was kind of quite fun to point out to Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ameri- like, like, like an American man going, No, this is not a pimp thing. This is a cultural fashion or, or a fashion thing. Don't sure, this, exactly. Don't put your pimp stereotypes on this. And well, that and was- it's interesting, like obviously it was a funny line, but it, it's it's it plays into what the show is doing with, with African American sort of experience in America as well. So it mm-hmm. sort of ties in like that. But it's it, you know it was just a fun. It's a fun bit of characterization that this guy's yes. a supervillain, but he's also woke. Yes. You know, and uh, obviously the dancing. The dancing tips it over for uh, me. Uh, top ten, top five greatest moments in the MCU. I don't know. Like, <laughs> where do you, where would you stand? You know, there's there's kind of. 
Oh, know, that moment where the, all the Avengers I, gather together for the first time. Yeah, you know, like the Avengers assemble for the first time, the portal scene, Cap captures the hammer, Baron Zemo dances. Like, I think yeah. that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, we, we are all in on the Zemo train. I'm... I have seen some negative reaction to Zemo's characterization here. Oh, really? Um, mostly from people who are like, wait, wasn't this guy like some weird lone wolf person? So suddenly he's a Baron with a private jet and things. And it's like perfectly valid criticisms. I don't care. Yeah, well, like, this is what helps about forgetting everything about Civil War, <laughs> is that I just immediately accepted everything they gave me. Sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Just, right? Especially when it's Daniel Brühl dressed like that. You're like, okay, whatever. My thing was not that he, you know, oh, what's this thing about? My thing was just he, he broke out of jail and all of a sudden everything's ready for him. Yeah, you would think well, that it, his life would be in more disarray. Yeah. <laughs> like given people, that he's an international terrorist. People would um, be searching for him more, and he just rocks up to an airfield, and his butler is there, ready to fly the plane or whatever. because he was a Sokovian baron, and Sokovia doesn't exist anymore. Like, it, it literally is no longer on the map. Um, yes, they You know, it's kind of kind of weird. But I, I guess, you know, when, you, when you're rich, you can move stuff around. It's, it's not... Well, he problem. must have some Swiss bank accounts or something. Exactly, but. yes. I'm sure that's... I'm sure that's what's going on um yeah but, but, but it, it does turn him into sort of like a weird batman-esque figure um, yes it's quite which is quite cool i quite liked he's even got uh, a mask and i did well i did love that they, I mean, because that, that's comics accurate so i mean the comics in the comics he often has like a purple uh mask sort of thing uh sometimes uh, depending on the version in the comics he can't take that off like sometimes it's actually stuck to his face um, but I think um, I think in the more recent versions, he basically he he just has like a, a disfigurement, which he he covers like a covers with his his uh, little mask thing. But I, I do like that. Like he kind, of, he kind of has it on him, ready to go. And then as soon as there's a bit of gunplay, he's like, oh, it's mask time. Here we go. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he puts the mask on. Well, that's what made me think that he was going to, you know, betray everybody, shoot them all, and then... Exactly, yeah, yeah. He, he does sort of signify that, like, oh, okay, I think this is his turn. He's going to do a heel turn here um, and, and betray them. And it's like, no, 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 he was just, like, getting dressed up. From a practical point of view, I would say it's a really good way to disguise Daniel Brühl's stunt double. But, yes. you know, <laughs> that's me being cynical. Yeah, because he did... Daniel Brühl, love him, got a lot of time for him, got a lot of energy... Sure. Loving it. But he doesn't strike me as, like, Sebastian Stan, I figure, is, like, kind of cut, you know? like Sure. Built. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian Stan and um and Sam, like, like, you can definitely tell that they are both probably a bit They're more... They're in the gym. Stunts. Yeah. Yeah. They're hitting the gym, all that kind of stuff. Daniel Brühl is listening to old records on a gramophone, reading philosophy sure. and eating, <laughs> like, a like, some kind of really sophisticated Eastern European baked good. And I can't yes. think of the type. It's sort of bready but moist. <laughs> if you know the type of Eastern European baked good that Brule would eat, call in because it's delicious. <laughs> and I just can't think of what it would be. Like a like a baklava maybe or that's Turkish. That's like a. I mean that's that's yeah. That's I, mean, not, I guess I guess we're getting too far east. No, I just I went to a bakery in Russia once, and how all good stories start. <laughs> I was in St. Petersburg, I think, and we went to pass this bakery and it just had the most delicious, delightful-looking treats and they all looked amazing. I feel like that's where Daniel Brühl has been. He's gone down to the, the beautiful boutique bakery. Sure. He's brought home a pastry of some kind or a, some sort of slice or morsel of goodness and he's put on some, I don't know, Rachmaninoff or something and he's just reading some <laughs> Consolation of Philosophy or something. I don't know. 
But he's not in the gym as much. He's he not. Might, yeah, he's he's not practicing his stunt work. He might have a rowing machine, you know. Sure. He's that yes. kind of fitness guy. He's well, just, he's the kind of guy who goes for a uh, a two hour long uh, walk in the mornings, uh, which he refers to as a constitutional. Yes. Thank you. That's exactly what he's doing. He has a morning constitutional, and then he sits down to play the piano for about forty five minutes. Yeah. That's what I think he's doing. So he's got really good finger strength. Sure. <laughs> How do I always bring it back to being inappropriate? I was being nice. <laughs> there was nothing inappropriate about that statement. You're right. Really? I'm reading into my to his own. Fingering. <laughs> well, this podcast has just gone off the rails. <laughs> it never does normally. Yes. Where were we? <laughs> um, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. He's your sophisticated villain. He doesn't need indeed. to be all jacked, Bane, face mask. Well, I Tom really Hardy. liked that, although having said that, like, Bane also had a very similar jacket. So, you know, there was definitely a, <laughs> a thing I don't with remember. That. I've walked it out. We, we'll get there. We'll get there in Raven Bat. In Raven Bat. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so basically I was wondering last week whether he was going to take, like, a Hannibal Lecter sort of role yes. in the show. Where they would sort of go to him and he'd be like, aha, you know, you you, you can't imagine this this new threat that you face and, and sort of giving them insight that way and, and not being really an active part of the show. And they kind and of did start to do that in, like, the first maybe 30 they seconds. They tease that. that they, they, they go down their path and then they're like, no, lol jokes, we broke him out. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose there's really only two ways you can go with a prisoner character. Sure, yeah, exactly. You, you either like leave this. the prison or you break him out and he becomes part of the action. But I did like that he, instead of being a Hannibal Lecter character, he's almost the Leo Getz of the, this buddy cop show. Okay, you're going to have to explain that. Okay, reference. sorry, Jesus. Okay, <laughs> so um, I thought you might get that one. So that, that's, a, that's a Lethal Weapon reference. Oh. Uh, so Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon 2 and 3 and 4 is uh, a character called Leo Getz, who's like a fast-talking criminal who has information that Riggs and Murtor need to solve the crime, and he has to tag along, and he's like a bit of a pain in their ass. Stu, I'm going to upset you. Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, geez. I know I'm going to upset a lot of the listening audience, yep. but I've never seen a legal weapon. Sure. I mean, like, it fits, it tracks, Natalie. I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> oh, wow, I feel like I have really hurt Stu. I feel like I've, that was a, a gut punch. I mean, no, I thought we weren't supposed to no, like you know, it's Mel just Gibson a, it's anymore just a anyway. action cinema. I mean, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> It kind of invented the buddy cop drama. I mean, you could say that 48 Hours kind of did in Beverly Hills Cop, but, like, you know, Lethal Weapon was kind of the, the biggest <laughs> example of that. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, oh, so much shade! A lot of, I mean, like, oh. the thing is, you know, if, if nothing else, if nothing else, there's there's a, a strong Lethal Weapon vibe to the relationship that uh, Sam and Bucky have in, in this Yes. This show. I think I there's can... definite DNA of that in this show. So I think For sure. maybe we could watch that afterwards. Maybe we can do that as a if as some uh, follow on homework. If you had said so and so is getting too old for this shit. Yes, you would get I that. Got that lethal weapon sure. reference. This is what I mean. I play in the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> That's how much I know. But you went with a character name, which I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, it's my fault. I'm it's, sorry. <laughs> it's not your fault. I'm the idiot who never sees stuff. Is Joe Pesci still acting? I haven't heard from him in a no, film. No, I think he retired. I think he's one of those guys who just was like, I'm old now and quite rich, so I'm not going to work anymore. Yeah, uh, like Gene Hackman. To, so, yeah. Gene Hackman re- retired. Gene Hackman retired. Like, he just he just decided, no, you know what? I don't have to make movies anymore, so I'm not going to. Um, And we haven't seen Jack Nicholson in ages, but I suspect he's 
I suspect he's done a similar thing. Yeah, he's sort of. Yeah, I suspect that he's maybe got Alzheimer's or something. Do you re- do you remember how I was talking about how I thought Sean Connery like you know we just probably weren't going to see him again until he died and then he did die. And then he died quite soon after you made I... those comments, actually. Oh really? I think so. Yeah. Well, the big one last year in 2020 was me putting up a tweet on Twitter. That's generally the place where you put them saying, I'm just so glad to know that Olivia de Havilland, because I was listening to something or watching something and double checked and was like, yeah, she's still alive. She's 104 and like still going on. And if she makes it through COVID, you know, I think that'll be just like so reassuring. And like two days later. It was like the next day. It was was, so soon. Very soon after you made that tweet. I've never done anything like that. And look, fair enough. She was 104. Okay. But still the timing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I do apologise for all fans of Golden Age uh, Hollywood. I topped the last one of them. But, yeah, I think Jack Nicholson might be someone who we probably won't see again until he departs this mortal. Yeah, well, I mean, what? Uh, it, it's been a while since he's been in things. Jack Nicholson bringing up IMDb. What was the last thing he was in? I'm going to say uh, it was that something's got to give or like. It was something like that. It was crazy. Um, like rom com type thing maybe five or six years ago? 2010 is his last acting credit in a movie called How Do You Know, which is a comedy drama romance with starring Reese Witherspoon and Owen Wilson. Okay, and you can't get angry at me for not having seen How Do You Know. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I didn't know this movie existed until I clicked on the link just now. Jack Nicholson too. looks like he's in this as like a, it, it's a and Jack Nicholson role. So he's yeah. probably in like, you know, five or six scenes. Mm. And he looks very old in this movie. <laughs> he looks extremely old uh, because he is, as you say, like he's in his like 80s. Before that, like, like the last big movie he was in was The Departed. He was like all over that. And that was 2006. Yeah. And then there was, like, uh, The Bucket List. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was in in 2007 with Morgan Freeman, and he's, like, he's one of the co-leads of that. And then he's in I'm Still Here, Morgan uh, which still was the on. Joaquin Phoenix um, weird documentary that he did. Oh, yeah. Um, apparently he was in that. But it looks like his last, like, movie role was this How Do You Know, this sort of rom-com thing in 2010. So that's, like, 11 years ago. Mm. So he is happily retired, from what I can tell. <laughs> yeah. It's not... He's just living his life, yeah. uh, which is good. You know, again, like it's one of these things where like, I think we said it when, when Sean Connery passed. It's like, isn't that what we want from these people? That they yeah. just go away and leave us alone? Like like that they, you know, someone who might have been a little bit problematic in their lives and, and you know, possibly <laughs> could be problematic if they were to poke their head up today, you know, just, just goes away and enjoys their millions and millions of dollars. Like, <laughs> perfect. It's, it's a win-win for everyone. Why would you re-enter public life when you could just – Live out your days in blissful happiness. I don't. I don't know why. Yeah, when you pop your head back up and you'll get me too. That yeah, sounds exactly. exactly. That sounded very flippant on my part. I don't mean that. No, no, no. I mean, you know, like obviously, like if there is a legitimate like me too issue there, then they should be. Yeah, me of too. course. But you know, why invite that into your life? Like, like just just go away, enjoy your millions of dollars, and don't darken our doorstep again, <laughs> Jack <Yes>. Nicholson. <laughs> I saw just this week that uh, I think someone was talking about J.D. Salinger. There's been a few articles about J.D. Salinger, the catcher okay, and the yeah. writer, yeah, yeah. and apparently he had a thing for teenage girls. I think that's that's not. That feels I don't like think it was no, no. It feels like that's 
been out there? Like, That's I, what I, I mean. I think I think he had a had a young, um, I guess, a partner, or she thought he was his partner, and turned out it was just kind of a dalliance on his part. And she right. spoke about it some time ago, and it's kind of come back up again, like these things sometimes do, where right. we spoke about this back when it happened, but we kind of just went, ah, oh, put it to one side. And now it's because the conversation's moved on. Everyone's like, hey, remember how J.D. Salinger was a bit of a thing? Mm. And I feel like <laughs> not not to say that he's that that like not to say that that's not absolutely you know this woman's story and I totally can see it happening, but it just makes me think like pretty much going to be so many people. Well, yeah, I mean, like, yes and no. Like, like you know, some so many people, people manage to manage to live in the times that they live in and not be complete assholes. But, yeah, you know. well, I know, but also some are like real problematic in certain ways. Like Roald Dahl, famous empty Semite, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And well, yet, or, yeah. are you going to stop your right. kids reading the BFG? Probably not. <laughs> or Charlie like, in the Chocolate Factory? Like, exactly. No, I mean, although that that has some problematic depictions of people, I don't know, like, depending on how you view the Oompa Loompas. Oh, I see. I thought you were going to talk about the small German boy who eats too much chocolate. <laughs> no, I think I think everyone's cool with that. <laughs> I think everyone's totally fine with that racial stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, you know what? The Germans can take it for a you bit. Can- Guys, you can live with the overeating chocolate, all yeah. right? Just be grateful that's <laughs> be, the one. Be grateful that the, the stereotype we have of you is of <laughs> jolly fat men. <laughs> Slapping their knees in lederhosen and yes, drinking too right. eating chocolate. You've you done, can just live with that for a while. <laughs> you have done a lot more to deserve a lot more. <laughs> so I shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't lie. I just feel it's important to talk about these things, about how, like, wow, everyone in the past was probably a terrible asshole. And in 50 years' time, people will look back at me and hear these podcasts and go, Natalie was extraordinarily problematic. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've gone back and listened to our first few podcasts. There is every chance that we have said extremely cancelable things uh, on our own podcast. But, you know, who knows? From from 2015, I think, is when we started. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Six years ago. Yeah. Well, what about all the times we – well, what about all the times? What about that time we watched porn? I'm sure we probably said some problematic <laughs> things in the porn episode i think i think Have actually weirdly i think that one was probably okay you could probably <laughs> release that <laughs> i don't know that i ever i think i might have recorded it to write it up but i don't think i ever actually it, it would be it. unlistenable we weren't recording a podcast you would just no. you, it was basically just like us commenting on a movie that was that was happening <laughs> it was it was a mystery science theater movie commentary yeah absolutely yeah. which admittedly could be fun if you were to release that as an accompanying track. so if Maybe wanted, maybe some edited highlights, but... Yeah, if people wanted to watch the full two-hour Pirates porn movie, <laughs> they could have Nat and Stu just in the background. As we've discussed, watching those movies all the way through start to finish is not the way they were intended to be viewed. <laughs> so it's, it's actually a weird experience because they, they have no pacing whatsoever. <laughs> When you view them as movies, they just don't work. It doesn't, like... And it's just it's just so odd, as I kept saying in that, I'm like, I just, where are they getting the breast implants from? <laughs> it's 18th century Caribbean. Where are the silicon implants coming from? <laughs> and also the acrylic nails. Where are yes, the acrylic yeah. nails coming from? There was, frankly, an appalling lack of, of period accuracy in this... <laughs> In this porn parody of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. <laughs> there were 
many busty wenches <laughs> that they were surgically enhanced busty wenches. Yes. Look, anyway. if you can't laugh about porn, what can you laugh about? Exactly. So let's get back to uh, sexy Zemo. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, well, yeah. So, so to put a bow on the Z- on the Zemo stuff, uh, I think it was really cool. It'll be interesting to see how he plays out over the next three episodes, um, because he seems to be very mercurial. They're, they're playing with our expectations of who he is and what he's doing. Um, obviously, he's pursuing his own agenda, but how far ahead he's planned all that. We know he's a master planner because we saw in the Civil War that that he, he's thinking ten steps ahead of things, sometimes implausibly. Uh, so it'll have it remains to be seen as to how, how far ahead he's sort of planned everything with this. Uh, and, so that'll be interesting to see play out. And also, you know, that's a lot of planning because when did he? I mean, in the timeline of the MCU, Civil War was released in what 2015, 2016, something around yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So if we're saying that this is slightly ahead of where we are in time by a year or two, he's been in prison for as ostensibly five, six, seven years. Yeah, because we're we're assuming that he wasn't snapped away. I assume he wasn't because he's still in prison. Like if he, I, if he was snapped away, I would, I would imagine he may, he may have come back and not been in prison anymore. I don't know, but didn't you get returned to where you got snapped from? You do. Monica, yeah. So maybe, Monica, maybe, he have, maybe he would have shown up in his cell. Yes. <laughs> Some other guys in there. But you wouldn't know. You'd just be like, what? Five years yeah. happened. Yeah. My point to that in terms of that large scale planning that you mentioned is that he gets out of the cell, they bust him out and he immediately knows who the power broker is, who their offsider is, where they're all located, how to get in, the code words at the bar, the favourite drink of the African guy who yeah. drinks lizard guts or something. No, not lizard guts, snake guts. And Sam and Bucky are never like, how do you know all this? Yes. <laughs> You've been in prison for seven years. How do you know all this? You know, things move on and it's a long time for, I would imagine, Five, six, seven years is a long time for a criminal gang to not have any change whatsoever. Sure. Um, it is weird. It, it speaks to it's, the fact that maybe Zemo had more knowledge of the outside world than he was letting on. True. Um, so maybe maybe that's going to play into the plot, or maybe it's a giant plot hole. I don't know. Well, well, maybe it remains his, to be seen. Maybe his butler comes to visit him and is just like, Sir, we have news. <laughs> He's moved to the Mirajapur. Majapur? Majapur. I can't say it either. Don't worry, butler man. It's fine. He goes, well, he's gone there. Uh, and apparently it's not even very human, really, not even human, but it's in the Indian <laughs> archipelago. I would have thought it would be quite human. No, apparently everyone... No, it, it has its own microclimate. You can have a coat there. So really, a coat? A coat, you say? Do you Some want me to start ordering coats. you a... Do you want me to order you a coat? Yes, yeah, something with a furry collar, I think. Something with a very furry collar that will make me very attractive to random women who might be watching for some reason. Oh, it's <laughs> Organise that and have it ready in the in in the private jet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent again. Yes, I think just to put a bow on the bow, on the bow, Zemo's <laughs> awesome, and I want to see much more of him in the next three episodes. He's great. He I love him. Elevate um, this episode if we. He can. really does. He really does. We used um, to interrogate last week. This week it's elevate. Indeed. Um, the next item on my list, item number two, Sharon is now a low-level crime boss or something. Yeah. So Sharon Carter is, wow. So, okay, like, let's dig into this. Uh, so, sure. Natalie, what do you remember about Sharon Carter? Like, do you remember her at all? Did you see her in the movies? Have, have you seen, did we establish you've seen The Winter Soldier or not? Yes, yes, yes. So, so you've seen Captain America I've... The Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War. 
I've seen all of the major ones. So I just those are the two movies that she appeared in. Yes. And she's got a very familiar face, yes. that em- Emily Van Camp yep. chick. I don't know why. It's just one of those faces that you see and you go, oh, that chick. Yeah, I know. Yeah, which is weird because she's a very generic white lady, and yet she does have a weirdly distinctive face. Mm. <laughs> so, hey, speaking as a generic white lady. Sure. We can be cool. We can be individual too. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Problematic. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so she was Peggy Carter's. I want to say niece, grand niece, I think. Some uh, sort continuity. of basically in the comics, she has she has gone from being Peggy's daughter to various levels down the relationship chain as World War Two got further and further yes. in the past. Yes. Um, and Cap spent longer and longer in the ice. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so so at, at this point, she's a grand niece. At some point, they're going to hit the point where she won't have been able, it will not have been feasible for her to have any personal connection to Peggy Carter whatsoever, but um, <laughs> I'm sure they'll figure out a way around that. that that'll, that'll, that's, that's a problem for later writers. Yeah. But basically, yeah, she, she's, a, she's a relation of Peggy Carter. And in the comics, she is Steve's primary sort of relationship. Uh, you know, she's his Lois Lane in many ways. Like they, they have an on again, off again thing. They're not always together in the comics, but she's sort of there to remind him of what he had before. But Peggy Carter in the comics is kind of like a one note and done character. She doesn't really figure very much because so much of Cap's story is after he comes out of the ice, obviously. So you're saying she's like, can I make a reference? Sure. You're saying she's like the original Silk Spectre in Watchmen, not the Silk Spectre, the daughter, who's the main a one in the actual. Bit. Yeah, a little bit like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm that's, just saying that's, that's, a, great, a, that's a great reference. That's a great that's reference. That's a reference. Thank you, that Stu. That certainly is. Thank um, you. Sometimes I can pull it out for you, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> so have I just gone dirty again? No, no. <laughs> well, well, if you want it to be that. Um, <laughs> But uh, the only reason that Peggy Carter became a massive thing is that obviously Hayley Atwell popped so much in Captain America, the first Avenger. Like she and Steve had great chemistry in that movie and they, and they really worked. And so Hayley Atwell is just like beautiful. She's amazing. She, she's just, stunningly beautiful. She's a great actress. Um, she She's great on screen. And she has that real 40, like she's so beautiful in a way that you don't get people now. Like she's. Yeah. She, she really she's very she fit very well into the 1940s setting. Totally clicks in. Like if she, yeah, just her whole vibe is meant to be 40s. Like yeah. just the victory rolls and the red lips and the ugh. Totally, very good, very very good. So um, she's not a generic white lady, and that makes me sad. Absolutely not. But but having said that, like the the fact that she and and uh, Chris Evans had such great chemistry meant that when he comes back for the new ones. It's kind of weird when they try and force the relationship with him and Sharon. There's that one kiss in Civil War that kind of comes out of nowhere. And in that specific movie, many people other than me have pointed this out, that it feels like the filmmakers are trying to reassure certain segments of the audience that Steve is not gay, right? They're like, because he, all he does is hang out with dudes in that movie. There is no relationship <laughs> stuff at all. And he's throughout that movie, he's basically dealing with his current boyfriend and his ex-boyfriend, you know, which is like Bucky and, and Sam, who who bicker constantly throughout that movie. Uh, you know, and and he they basically have a shot of him kissing Sharon to be like, no, 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 he, he's not, no, there's no gay stuff in this movie. 
there, there's no subtext. He, he's straight. He's, he likes he likes girls. It's like, jeez, guys. It is such a weird thing that everyone jumps to get, which look, and it, look, fair enough. I I guess they're all running around in spandex, so why not? But <laughs> um, not to essentialize, but, you know, the fact is you can have like really strong male bonded friendships. Like no, totally. Exactly. Of, and and that's what I mean. Like, like the, the whole point of that movie is that you, you're dealing with like strong emotional male relationships. <laughs> strong and male characters, Stu. Strong absolutely. male characters. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and, but that's the thing. Like, you know, and, and that makes certain segments of the audience deeply uncomfortable. And so you have to have the main character kiss a girl just to remind everyone that he's not gay. Um, and it's kind of. It's kind of disappointing because it feels really tacked on. It feels out of nowhere. And the the only reason they, they, to be very charitable to the filmmakers, the reason that that's in there is because Steve and Sharon have this relationship in the comics that just does not make it to the MCU at all. You you assume that, like, it's sort of an unrequited thing. Like, they kind of have a connection, but then she apparently leaves immediately after that and does not return to the US and becomes a weird art fence. What do you mean by art fence? Like like a fence, like like in, in the criminal, in my extensive knowledge of the criminal underworld, a fence is someone who moves stolen goods. I did so, not know that. Oh, really? No, that's oh, a term okay. I've yeah, yeah. never so a heard. A fence is someone who like fences items, so like stolen goods, that they, they, they facilitate sales and yeah. take art and all that sort of thing. Here's the definition. A fence, also known as a receiver, mover, or moving man, is an individual who buys, knowingly buys stolen goods in order to later resell them for profit. Yes. I've never heard of that definition. Gosh, you learn something new every day. That's why this (laughs) podcast is educational. It sure is. That is obviously our primary value. Yeah. Um, The second result on Google search, by the way, is – a state government website that you can go to for disputes about fences, trees, and buildings. <laughs> That's uh, right. Resolving tree and fence disputes. So if you are having problems with the neighbour, you can just Google that right up. Absolutely. But basically, like, so I, I feel like Sharon Carter might be the most poorly served character in the transition from page to screen in the entire MCU. I, I'm hard-pressed to think of another character who's been worse done by than her, because in the comics, she's... Nick Fury's right-hand man. She's Agent 13. She's like his go-to agent in a way that like Black Widow doesn't work as closely with S.H.I.E.L.D. as she does in the MCU in the comics. So like she took on a lot of Sharon Carter's stuff. And then also Maria Hill, so Kobe Smulders in the Avengers Mm. movies, really took on a lot of her sort of second-in-command sort of stuff. But in the comics, like she's Nick Fury's go-to girl. Like he will be like, you know, I need my best agent on this, so I'm going to send Sharon Carter. She's like a kick-ass secret agent in the comics in the movie she's a low-level functionary who (laughs) who is is assigned to watch you know to watch steve and then shield is disbanded because it 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 turns out that hydra has infiltrated it so she goes and works for the cia for a while and then she goes and is a crime boss in southeast asia like it's just very strange and it makes me wonder whether there's something more going on with her that we're not getting yet right so my, my theory is and I'll throw this out there now, and I could be completely wrong. And okay. I'll, I'll throw it out here now, so if, if it hits, I'll look like a genius. Theory sting. I think Sharon Carter is the power broker. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, that sounded way more sarcastic than I meant. <laughs> Whoa. I was cool actually, theory, Stu. No, no, no. I was actually quite impressed. <laughs> it just came out really wrong. Uh, 
just because she's she knows a lot about what's going on in Madripoor, she seems very well connected, way too connected for a low level fence. A- at the end of that fight, and she kicks ass throughout that whole thing. Like oh, she's just wrecking dudes. It's very amazing. annoyed that I did not write that down in my list because that fight scene where all the dudes are having a DNM downstairs in the shipping containers. <laughs> and she's just taking care of business upstairs. And she's just like, wow, bam, wow, cool, patunk, patunk, turn a corner, shoot a gun, bam. It, it was good, and, and it. but after everything sort of happened, so they have the big shootout and what have you, and then, like, a car shows up for her, and she's like, okay, we got to go. That, that felt weird. And also, I don't know whether we were supposed to think that she was the one who murdered that other lady. Like, like they go in to see the lady, and then Sam gets rumbled by that call. Yes, Selby. Um, Selby, yeah. And, and then Selby gets, like, assassinated. And I don't know whether we're supposed to think that Sharon did that or not. Is it that what you took from confusing. that or was it mysterious? Because because at one point Brule said, he's like, you have a guardian angel. And then she turns up. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you have a guardian angel. And then she turns up and I'm like, okay, so are we supposed to think that she killed Selby? I because don't. They, ne- they never address it after that. This is the thing. They just go along with it going, well, I guess this is fine. Like they're literally yeah. in an alley. The whole island has been alerted to their presence and said, we'll give you a trillion dollars if you kill them. People are shooting them from all around. They end up in this alley with her and it's like, well, we're all just going to stand here talking for a while now and getting reacquainted. And then, uh, okay, follow me. This is what I mean. Zemo blinded me to some like, what? that doesn't quite make sense in this episode. And that was one of them. Yeah, yeah. I don't really understand how the super soldiers work, uh, what they're doing, and I don't really understand, was she shooting? Did she just kind of watch someone shoot Selby? Or or was that supposed to be a mysterious third party? I don't know. Yeah, which is the power broker. Yeah, so like the power broker. And so that's why I'm thinking that the show is trying to dance around the fact that Sharon is the power broker. Now, maybe that's not it. Maybe I'm going to be completely wrong on that one. I hope I am because I want Sharon Carter to be reincorporated into everything. Like, And it kind of raises up that it will depend on what they do with that storyline as to whether her stated storyline sort of lands for me, which is that after everything that happened, after having to go on the run and, and everyone went on the run and she obviously went her separate way, like they saved the world. Everyone got a pardon, but she didn't. And that someone involved, and I guess people slip through the cracks and, and people forget about people, but it's like, she was pretty instrumental in her own small way of making sure that everyone had their stuff, you know, like she, she made sure that Steve had his shield and and Sam had his wings and everything else. And so maybe the key there is that pardon. If she can be the power broker and then they just go, she gets her pardon, then she's been kind of preeminently pardoned for power brokering. Well, that's right. Exactly. So maybe, maybe that's it. I don't know. Given that it's like, Hey, we're going to make Zemo a kind of cool guy now, or at least an ambiguous guy. Let's make her the ambiguous girl, and then we can do the ambiguous shuffle. (laughs) Well, I I think that's the dance move that Zemo was doing in the club. (laughs) Yes. He's doing the ambiguous shuffle. Yes, we've named it. I'm writing that down. (laughs) So uh, the next item on my list was Flag Lady Bad, which we've already discussed. I also had on my list uh, just Madripoor. Now, this is obviously, as you said, like, you know, there's questions about the climate of Madripoor and all that sort of thing. (laughs) But the the thing that would have set off giant sort of ringing clacks on for for long-term comics fans is... Madripoor, the country, is a fictional country, obviously, and it's it's from Marvel Comics, but it's heavily tied to mutants and the X-Men specifically, and specifically oh, okay. Wolverine. Oh. Wolverine uh, spends lots of time in Madripoor. 
why does he have a place there or uh no no just just a lot of, well he he tends to end up there because it's kind of like a, a you know a hive of scum and villainy uh and so it's the sort of place where he sort of washes up uh every is, once in a while this is the other thing about being a hive of scum and villainy like yeah. Because they talk about how it was a pirate uh, sector. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And so it still has its criminal ways. But, like, it can't really be, like, that much of a criminal. I mean, can it? Can you in the modern world have a place that's so obviously lawless? I mean, you know, like, pro- probably not, but, I mean, this is the Marvel Universe. So, I yeah, mean, they're, they're sort of, you know. Okay. There's some there's some license there. It's slightly, slightly heightened from our yeah. real world. But... It is strongly connected to mutants and the X-Men. And so the fact that they're incorporating it, I, I don't want to go too hard on it because we got burned quite badly on, on is, WandaVision talking about this I sort was, of thing. But I was about to say, Stu, are you about to I'm get not about really to, excited? To put it, I'm, I'm not about to fall ass first into a boner joke. Um, <laughs> but we do seem to be laying some track. It's certainly it's interesting that they chose this location specifically. They could have done any number of things. They they could have gone to Sokovia. There's things that they could have done, and it would have been, brought them a lot closer. Like if they had been in Eastern Europe somewhere, yeah, it would have been a lot closer to the flag where the flag smashers are. But instead, they're off in Southeast Asia. So it's a long detour, which suggests that they wanted to have Madripoor established for some reason. Whether or not that will pay off down the line, I don't know, but it's certainly something to just put a pin in to remember for later. Madripoor has heavy ties to mutants in the Marvel Universe. So, Did we see any mutants? I don't think so. Cleverer people or people with much more time on their hands than I have have probably already scoured over those scenes looking for any uh, mutant (laughs) sort of stuff. Uh, I haven't looking seen for any, that, any but... blue women. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh... Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Nothing jumped out to me, but we'll, we'll see if any of that pays off. The next item on my list was no one cares, John. No one cares. This is obviously John Walker <laughs> as Captain America going, <laughs> do you know who I am? The guy's like, yes, and I don't care. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, that was great. That was and fantastic. He, was that his reaction there with the, don't you know who I am? Where I just went watching it, I went, yeah, he's definitely on roids. It had a more roided up feel this this it week. Really did. I, I think they're definitely laying the groundwork for he's been juicing. Yeah. Uh, so something will be happening. We know that the U.S. government has had like a super soldier program in the past. Right. Or if he doesn't, if he hasn't already been juicing, maybe he'll seek that out. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that. So I have an apology to make to Wyatt Russell. I did not realise this, but someone on Twitter who I follow had a yeah. bit of a, a rant about how apparently he's been driven off social media because so many people were having a go at him about his face. Oh, and really? yeah, I don't know. This is literally just something on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I made a joke about it when it first happened because the chin strap and the helmet just didn't seem to suit his face. Like it I just mean, was- there was a joke after the after the teaser at the end of, the, of episode one that he kind of looks like the main guy from Up. Yes, but that's the thing. Like my first thing was who was this guy and what's with his face? But then with the mask off, you're like, oh, he's a perfectly normal looking dude. And indeed, you know, yeah. he's Hollywood royalty. So, of course, he's very good looking. Sure. <laughs> uh, and I really like what he's doing with the character. I like the way he is this sort of yeah. wannabe. Well, he's a, an amazing hero in his own right. But now he's trying to fill these big shoes and he's obviously having That's some trouble it. with he's it. He's feeling the pressure. They're, they're like one step behind Bucky and Sam. Yeah. But he's smart enough to know when they go to the prison and he says, hang on, Bucky and Sam were here the day that Zemo escaped. Yeah. And he puts two and two together, whereas his battle star is like, no, they wouldn't do that. So he's smart. 
So I like what they're doing with the character and I feel really awful that people are actually just having a go at him and that's all they're I mean, look, you know, we, we, we muck around a lot on this podcast, but I, you know, I'm sure people have been like adding him directly and talking about his, his face and stuff. And that sucks. Don't do that. Um, yeah, don't, don't be like that. Yeah. Weird people of the internet. I yeah. mean, I'm sorry I called you weird. I'm, I'm just adding insult to injury there. I'm not really helping the situation, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I certainly wasn't saying it in a bullying way. I hope it was more of a, he looks weird. Like the whole yeah. The helmet is not designed for his face properly, and well, and that's he, probably he was, on purpose. We're, we're used to seeing Chris Evans as uh, Steve Rogers in that costume, and we saw a different guy in that costume, and it was weird. And it's meant to look weird. We're meant to be kind of freaked out by yes. it. Yes. You know, so in that regard, he succeeded admirably. And the fact that people are reacting badly to that is just more evidence that I think people have real trouble separating, like, make-believe things from real things. (laughs) You're responding that way because that's how the show wanted you to respond. You're not responding that way because you dislike the person. You know what I mean? Like, like, don't do that. Don't be annoyed with the actor because he acted like an asshole. Yes. Because he's playing an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's, he's just, doing his job. He's doing his job well. Yes. <laughs> just yeah. Remember how we all hated Jamie Lannister? Yeah. Remember how we all hated them? We started to love him, and then we hated that we loved him, and then we didn't understand why he went back to being weird and, at the end. And, and then he jettisoned a lot of that character development. <laughs> Justice for Jamie Lannister. <laughs> Justice for Jamie Lannister. Hey, did you see the – we didn't talk about the Game of Thrones stage show. No, no, we didn't. No, uh, so, yeah, this this has happened. It's uh, happening. It is happening. Well, well I mean, it's, it's it's happening in the same way that the the prequels are happening. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> but, yes, but for hey, anyone who hasn't seen, the Game of Thrones is, is coming to, a, to the stage, to Broadway, apparently. I think mm, it's Broadway. Broadway. Is it Broadway or West End? It's both. They apparently want to kind of do it everywhere, including potentially Australia, because yeah. one of the producers is a, is an Australian guy lives in Sydney. Right. Okay. So and we kind of leapt to the assumption that it would be a musical, because of course, like, like every- I, I just want that to happen. But apparently, it's going to be just a play. Which makes sense. It'll be like like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Yeah, it's like a big exactly. scale. Because it makes sense. You can do lots of cool theatre tricks with knights and tournaments and stage fights and goodness knows what. But, yeah, I wrote up a list of, if it was a musical, some suggested songs, including we've had 300 years, here's to 300 more, <laughs> um, which if didn't explain the backstory, but it's going to be set during the tourney at Harren Hall, which is the yes. famous yeah, yeah. When Rhaegar Targaryen gave Lyanna Stark the blue flowers and his wife was sitting there going, what? <laughs> uh, hey, girl, hey. And uh, songs like, he's handy with the sword, that Jamie. <laughs> and uh, that's Tawny Tainment. Oh, my God. And Fishing for Your Love, Catelyn Tully. <laughs> yeah. Our love will last forever until you die in childbirth and I get killed by your fiance. <laughs> and everything's going to be all right for around 15 years. Yes. <laughs> Very good. But look, it's Harry Potter is the cursed child is like a sequel of sorts. Well, I mean, it is. And this is a prequel of sorts. And they both take place, weirdly enough, around the same amount of time after the events or before the events. So... 
it makes sense that they're doing that yeah. kind of thing where you can tell a story that's going to feed into your understanding of the original story in some way and also provide stage spectaculars. Absolutely. And, and just to give the total authentic Game of Thrones experience, <laughs> I don't know whether to make the joke of the second act should just be like about 10 minutes long and the rest hasn't been written or <laughs> um, the... <laughs> It has really high. The second act has really high production values for about ten minutes, and then the re- the next forty minutes is just kind of everyone standing around in their street clothes. <laughs> See, that's that's mean because it'll be a different production team. <laughs> it'll be so the first one, the first one. Well, this is the thing when you go to see Harry Potter and the Chur- Cursed Child, which is very much. I went to see it uh, end of twenty nineteen in, in Melbourne on a on a jaunt down there because. From a staging perspective, I was really interested in how they do the tricks and all that kind of stuff. And I know enough about Harry Potter to be like, oh, yeah, I'm like Harry Potter fine enough, but I'm not like a die-hard Harry Potter person. You, so it's you really don't interesting. have a wand and a patronus, a patronus. I mean, I have a Marauder's Map-themed umbrella, Stu. But, um, <laughs> that was only because I was at the Room of Requirement at Samford and it started raining and I needed an umbrella. And I went, well, it's a nice umbrella. I'll just buy that. <laughs> but no, I don't. I don't know what my patronus would be. Because it's supposed to be an animal that represents you. Yeah. I mean, a sloth, uh, some sort of <laughs> some sort of ground-dwelling beetle. I mean, you're the mother of kittens. Surely it would be a cat. Yeah, but uh, cats are little superheroes or supervillains, depending on the day. <laughs> like, they're really fast. They have sharp claws. They're very smart. They can hear well. They can see in the dark. They're kind of made of liquid, so they can fit through all sorts of weird spaces. <laughs> like, they're literally the little superheroes that we live with are cats. Dogs, yes. not so much. Dogs can't do what cats do. Dogs obey the laws of physics. Cats just take them as a suggestion. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's very and true. And so cats are little superheroes. I just don't know if I'm as cool as a cat. I'm not a cool cat. <laughs> Again, if it's something that's supposed to really represent your spirit, you know, some sort of creature that hibernates. <laughs> imagine <laughs> imagine me casting my spell. Aspecto Patronum! And out comes a... Very tired bear that just sort of curls up <laughs> and goes to sleep. <laughs> and there's me going again, again. But no, the thing with Harry Potter not is not even winter. It's <laughs> it is January bear. The thing about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child is that it's a totally different design team to the movies. So you kind of go in and you your inner audience member kind of expects to hear like ding 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 because that's so associated with Harry Potter. It's not there at all. They call Voldemort Voldemort because apparently it was always supposed to be a silent T, like like French. Oh, like, for Christ's sake. What? What's so wrong with that? <laughs> that is just, man. <laughs> Wait, I got too angry. Uh, is a coming? <laughs> it's not like they didn't consult J.K. Rowling. She co-wrote it, but she's the one who said it should have always been pronounced more. No, but what, what I'm saying is, like like, in the movies, like, she was heavily involved in the movies. Like, at any point in the movies, she could have spoken up and said, it's pronounced Voldemort. I'm sure she probably did, but they're Americans watching, remember? They can't handle the the silent... T- Although you would have thought that with, like, Colbert Report, they might have been slightly okay yeah. with it. But I think that was pre-Colbert Report when the Harry Potter film started. <laughs> but, yeah, they have different symbols. They have different house symbols. They have different Voldemort imagery. They have, you know, everything's different. So this Game of Thrones, I mean, imagine, Stu, they might not even have tits. <laughs> they might keep everyone covered up. They'd be riding in the theatre if that happened. <laughs> 
People would turn over chairs. They'd they'd throw mouldy bread. Like, I paid five hundred dollars to sit in the front row, and I demanded nipples <laughs> because I am going to the theatre. We demand political intrigue, tits, and dragons. <laughs> because I'm not a sleaze bag who goes to a strip joint. I'm a sophisticated <laughs> cultural consumer, and I want tits. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's that's my soapbox. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but you know, it's um, it, it'll be very strange. interesting to see what eventually comes of of all that. Whether that actually becomes a thing, or whether this is just like a, a blue sky session that made it out into a press release. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. But hey, they're going to need some big things, I think, to help theatre in the wake of COVID. So from that perspective, something like a Game of Thrones play is definitely going to get people in, totally. and we'll definitely yeah. get fundraising, and we'll you definitely a, you get want a big name. You want a big name IP, and and there's a surprising amount of goodwill remaining for the Game of Thrones uh, brand. So yeah, ride ride that train, guys. Do it. Well, I'll go. Damn right, I'll go. Absolutely. I'll be right there. Opening night. <laughs> I demand tits. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll take off my shirt. Not provide the tits myself. <laughs> George yeah, Martin's not going to something done right. You got to do it yourself. <laughs> do it yourself. I just go do my own Game of Thrones show out the front. <laughs> Look, to be fair, I've done it before. Uh, I had a whole get, show. Game about... of Thrones show, not get the girls out. Yeah, that's right. But you know, when the call comes, I stand <laughs> ready. <laughs> Oh, man. Look, I know it was another sidebar, but it was an entertaining one. Shall we finish talking about the Falcon of the Winter Soldier? We what where are we talking about? The- this podcast lately <laughs> this is done the only thing i was going to say was obviously at the very end oh boy the wakandans are here uh specifically yes. one wakandan uh ao who's been in the other uh movies what are they called the cool warrior women who the door door uh, the, the dora malage i want to say i i <laughs> i'm mangling the pronunciation but yes, yes they're the elite warriors of of wakanda uh, they're the very ro- cool royal guard talk about fashion forward that's them Oh, yes, most definitely. And oh. so they're obviously uh, there for Zemo because he killed the previous king. Oh, and yeah. Um, yeah, he did. Like That's the thing you kind of forget. It's like, oh, yeah, he killed T'Chaka. So, I said it last week. He's brooding and complicated, and I stand by it. So Absolutely. Sure. He might have <laughs> killed a guy, but it's only because he's brooding and complicated. That's it, exactly. And you can forgive a lot when you're brooding and complicated. It's so true. <laughs> Not in real life. I just want to say, yes. not in real life, brooding and complicated makes you pretty hard to deal with. In pop culture, <laughs> I'm loving you. Mr. Darcy in real life would be an asshole. Yeah. On screen, I'm loving him. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that, that's obviously, we'll have to deal with the ramifications of that next week. So we'll have to yeah. see how Bucky deals with that. And also they went to visit, they're trying to track down Carly Morgenthau. She she said goodbye to a woman who died and, again, no context for who this woman was. Mm. Oh, no, she talked about, to the Aussie guy, she talked about how she'd helped. She was her teacher or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she wanted to be a teacher. Look, Zemo spangled my eyes. I can't remember anything. <laughs> so it, it is what it is. They got away in a cool convertible. Bucky wouldn't push his seat back. Sam looked annoyed. Zemo looked pretty happy about the situation. <laughs> Everyone's happy. It was a good episode. I, I think I don't think I liked the episode as much as you did, but but I think there was a few questions, and I, I think it's going to be how well the series sticks the landing as to how much I'll like these episodes in retrospect, I think. But yeah, of course. Obviously, Zemo throws it over the top. It's fantastic. Yeah, he just, as I said, glamours the whole episode, and all of a sudden you're just like, I'm on board with whatever they're doing. 
Absolutely, yeah. It's not even a very showy performance. It's a very understated performance. Yes, Uh, that's what I mean. He rocks it. Have you seen The Alienist? No, no, I want to. It's been on my list, my watch list for ages. Um, yeah, I just haven't managed to get around to it. But, yeah, no, I want to watch it because, yeah, first, it's awesome. The, the it's first, like Victorian-era X-Files, right? Uh, it's more Victoria-era murder podcasts. <laughs> well, it's late, uh, sort of just before the turn of the century, New York. So Teddy Roosevelt is the chief of police in the first season. Right. And Daniel Brühl is an alienist, which is what they used to call psychologists. Ah, right, okay. And oh, he, so he's like he's like Sherlock Holmes type of, but like profiling killers and that sort of that's thing. That's right. So yeah. he's kind of brought in to help. Is it Dakota Fanning or Elle Fanning? It's one of the Fanning girls. I think it's Dakota. She's assistant to Teddy Roosevelt in the police. So she's like an independent woman with her own job. And so she starts investigating this murder somehow. And then Luke Evans is there because he's a reporter, and then they meet Daniel Brühl, and they're like a cool little trio of serial killer finders. It's just really good. The first season's really good. The second series gets kind of silly at the end. I found the second oh, half okay. of the second series gets a bit like, but why? But why? Still massively entertaining. But, yeah, the first series is is super, super good. And he's just really, just really charismatic on screen. So I think yeah. even though I'd seen him as Zemo, it didn't really register until I saw the alienist. And I'm like, I am on board. I am picking up whatever you are putting down. <laughs> so are we there at the end? I think so. I think that's it. That, that's all I wanted to talk about. Um, of and we, we've, we've talked at length about Zemo, which uh, yes. obviously is right and proper. So <laughs> it remains just now to see what happens next week with, with the complications introduced in this episode. So they're going to track down Carly Morgenthau and run in with the Dora Malai. Yeah. Malach. The Wakandan warrior women. Yeah. Excellent. Stu, <laughs> thank you so much for a high energy. I didn't even really have a huge amount of chocolate for Easter today. I pretty played it pretty calm. You're just on a natural sugar high. I'm just on a natural Zemo high. <laughs> but it's always fun to talk to you, Stu, because I feel like it always energizes me because I was quite tired before we were recording, and then I get pumped up because I'm like, yeah, we're talking fun stuff and pop culture and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I've now run out of words, and it's a good time to end the podcast. (laughs) If you would like to call in, which we always welcome, uh, you can find at Disco Stew on Twitter. I am at Girl Clumsy on Twitter. For my wonderful patrons on Patreon, thank you so, so much. It has been, as always, amazing to have your support. And if you're interested in joining my Patreon, I wrote up what I thought was a very sweet piece about my cleaner who dumped me via text about a week ago uh, at 2.30 in the morning. I got dumped by text. Uh, yes. With a text that's a read, do not contact me again on any level. So I, I read a little bit about her and I'm uh, trying to add some more stuff in there. So uh, patreon.com slash girlclumsy. And if you're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Natalie's Throne is where you can find us. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Uh, Stu, thank you once again for joining me. And as we always like to say at the end of this episode, um, go Zemo. Go Zemo. Team Zemo. See you next week. Bye.